guys, welcome back to our Forest Podcast, official podcast of digital and creative media works, where each week we take some from pop culture and try to break it down to better understand it. My name is David. Hello, my name is Ben. I like the finger guns. Is that going to be a permanent fixture? No. No? I was just kind of testing the waters and I yeah. well, well, something different next week. Last week you made an existential groan and then looked at the table. Because to be fair, like that was yeah, that yeah. was like 10 p.m. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting one. Uh, this this month though, it's a new month, so we, we obviously that was April. Um, we're now in May, and we thought, what better way to treat my birthday month? It's gonna be May. It's gonna be May, baby. That's, um, that's it's, the one. It's it's you can't stop us. It's May now, um, which I'm not okay with. The well, the year's yeah. gone very quickly. Um, I figured like because it's my birthday and it's my goddamn show, we would just do <laughs> stuff and talk about stuff that we like. Do you know what I mean? Like, right, sure. No, okay. I mean, like, those first two time, things are a bit, uh, but a, I'm okay with Like, the... a lot of the time we suffer. I don't know. We don't suffer, but like, we're like, we, okay, how can we learn from this thing that we dislike? And I'm like, what right. if we just did a month of stuff that we enjoy? Yes. So that's kind of what we're doing. Um, so this month's theme is going to be genius, which we've touched on before. Um, so this week, uh, what better way to kick it off than to talk about the genius of Brick 2005? This was Ryan Johnson's first movie. And this I'm, ver- was- I'm very glad you didn't open with like the genius of ryan johnson's first film because we would just we would just get a lot of hate for I that uh i also wanted to point out that this was requested by our patreon cameron so thank you oh. cameron for requesting i thought yeah i thought you had no seen this, this, this was requested this fresh? From, a, from a patreon oh. it was like you should watch this you'll love it and um, yeah i did you, yeah same so <laughs> it's, it's really good I, what happened was uh donnie darko they they donnie darko is for a lot of people their favorite episode of ours and the topics that we touch on there have a lot of bearing on this i think yes um so we'll we'll kind of revisit some of this this might serve it's as like somewhat of a donnie part two. darko part two <laughs> so if i mean if if you're listening or watching this after the fact may, maybe go watch that after maybe not before i don't know it depends how you want to sequence it but it's definitely going to evolve pro when I was doing the research, I re-listened to that episode yeah. for, for context. So, um, if you don't know, Brick is a 2005 American neo-noir mystery film written and directed by Ryan Johnson and is his directorial debut of a feature-length film starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a very young man. Yeah, this is pre-500 Days, yeah, which is like... pre-most things. Which is like him. pre the start of Joseph Gordon-Levitt's career. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's also pre... and uh, Hey, Google... When did 10 Things I Hate About You come out? 10 Things I Hate About You was released globally on March 31st, 1999. <laughs> so, so good six years so after good six, that. Six years after that was when he, this this came out. Okay, um, sure. And it's probably the first time when he was sort of old enough to be cast in like Wait, the edgier roles. How old was he in 10 Things I Hate About You? He was like 16. He was like oh. actually the age of the character. Okay, wow, yeah, because he... I mean, he looks older in this. I mean, all the characters look quite older. Yeah. We'll get into that. It's a stylistic thing. Yeah. But before we get into the summary, what did you think going into it? Did you uh, first time? I mean, I I all I'd seen from it was like the the IMDb description, which Wait, was did like. Did you know anything about this before? No. Okay, interesting. I knew nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I saw the IMDb IMDb description, which was like. He seizes, he gets a frantic call from his ex-girlfriend and then finds her dead body and then decides to figure out who done it. And I was like, man, that sounds like fucking shit. Mm-hmm. And like the first, so I was like watching this film like while doing housework, which I don't think helped. But at the same time, I don't think I would have been able to watch it any other way. <laughs> it's a very, it's like a real slow burner. But there's a lot of like details that if you're not super paying attention, you, you can just miss. Completely miss. This but is very intricate. Yeah. I mean, I I think, and we're obviously going to get into this, but I think the the nature of the genre that it was very much like by the books using helped with that because mm-hmm. I was able to just kind of 
you, you know, know how there was a, there was a character who I was just like who was this character I was able to just use the shorthand of like this archetype oh they're or... this archetype from a noir story uh-huh. I can I can follow along from here yeah it's it's very interesting in that way where it commands a lot of genre conventions very proficiently yeah. for a new film or oh, sorry for a new director um, yeah clearly Johnson knows his shit I think um, yeah it's almost like he's a good director oh boy um, oh crap let's not get anyone angry yet. let's get through the summary and then we can kind of see yeah. where we end up. Um, because I have a lot of mm, conflicting feelings about this film. Okay. Um, okay. So, high school student Brendan Fry is spending a lot of time by himself after his breakup with Emily Kochik and the betrayal at the hands of, at the hands of his friend Joe. Brendan finds a note in his locker directing him to a payphone where he receives a cryptic call from Emily as a Mustang drives past. Brendan calls on all of his resources to track Emily down, landing him investigating a Halloween party where he is intercepted by Laura Dannon, a flirtatious popular kid. Laura directs Brandon to a diner where he meets Dode. Dode and Emily try to convince Brendan to leave it alone, but Brendan snags her notepad and it leads him to Emily's dead body. Reeling from her death, Brendan takes it on himself to solve her murder. He hides the body and Brendan attacks Brad to draw out the pin, a local dope dealer that may be involved. Brendan is then knocked out by a man he's never met before. After some further investigation, Brendan learns the driver of the Mustang is the same man who beat him up. Brendan convinces the owner of the car to take him to the pin. Brendan meets the pin and convinces him he should take him on. The pin then says he'll either scrub Brendan, which I assume is like kill, or take him on by the next day. On the way home, Laura reveals Emily stole the brick from the pin when he rejected her from his organization. After a chase, Brendan incapacitates an assailant who tries to attack him with a knife, and the pin accepts him on this merit. Brendan then gets a call from Dode, who says he saw Brendan hide Emily's body, and believing Brendan is the murderer, (coughs) vows to ruin his life. Brendan meets with the pin, who suspects an uprising from Tug, the man who beat Brendan up and took him to the pin in the first place. At the pin's house, Tug tells Brendan that the pin received a shipment of ten bricks and sold eight. One was stolen and replaced with another that had been doctored with detergent, causing Frisco's coma, and the tenth brick remains to be sold. The pen arrives and tells Tug about hearing from someone who knows what happened to Emily. Brendan, weakened from several recent fistfights, intercepts Doe before the meeting and discovers Emily was pregnant when she died. Tug goes berserk and beats Doe before shooting him in the head. Tug then threatens the pen, who walks away as Brendan faints from a coughing fit, likely sustained from his many injuries and head trauma. (laughs) Brendan awakes uh, in Tug's room, where Tug says he's at war with the pin. Brendan confronts Kara, accusing her of manipulating Dode by telling him Emily was carrying his baby and then pushing him to sell information to the pin. Brendan arranges a meeting between Tug and the pin and waits in Tug's bed. Laura emerges to comfort him, and as he sobs over Emily, they have sex. Uh, Brendan recognizes her post-cigarette her post-sex cigarette as the same distinctive brand that was dropped from the Tug's black Mustang after Emily was frightened. At the meeting, chaos erupts when it is discovered that the 10th brick is now missing. Tug beats the pin to death while Brendan flees, escaping just as the police arrive. As he goes, he passes the trunk of Tug's car, where he has hidden Emily's body to ensure the police pin her murder on Tug, not on him. The next day, Brendan meets with Laura in the school's football field. Brendan explains to Laura that he knows she set Emily up to take the fall for Laura's theft of the 9th brick. She further manipulated Emily into meeting with Tug, who ultimately killed her after letting him believe he was responsible for Emily's pregnancy. Brendan tells Laura he has put this truth in a note to Vice Principal Truman, who will find the brick in Laura's locker if, in fact, what he says is true. Laura vindictively tells Brendan that Emily expressed regret that she couldn't keep her pregnancy because she did not love the prospective father, and that Emily was three months pregnant when she died, 
implying the baby was Brendan's. Credits. Ooh. Ooh, savage. Ooh. Uh, the reason that I put the the sex thing in, I didn't leave it ambiguous, is that Ryan Johnson's talked before, and he's like, "Yeah, they have sex." There's a scene they cut where it's like they're naked and it oh, cuts okay. away. Sure, so, fair enough. Um, but that's yeah. why I was like, nah, "I don't remember that." Yeah, there's a lot. This this is like a. It's a complex. I, once again, there's a lot film, that happens. Look, if you haven't seen this film and you you listen to that and you went, "What the fuck happened?" Like, it's a lot easier to watch because it's very to- slow. It's very slow and it's, you kind of get a, there's, there's not that, there's really not that many characters. Mm-hmm. It's just all of them are always there and they're always doing something. And there's always some new information yeah. about them. So it's, it's, you, you kind of have to be there in the moment. So like, don't, don't be put off by that. It's a very heavy. <laughs> it's very, it's a very confident. It's very dense. It's dense. I mean, that's just one part of like what makes it so. There's like, there's more in there than even in that synopsis. Big time. I mean, I didn't even mention, like, the subplot with the vice principal and trying to use Brendan as, like, an inside man. Or, like, um, the the extra interactions with... God, what's her name? Car- Carla? Cara, the drama. Cara, yeah. yeah. the ex-girlfriend. There's a lot of, like, things going on that I didn't mention because they don't necessarily, like... They're just more detailed that make the film a bit more um, realized, I guess. Um, the, the big thing I notice about a lot of things that Ryan Johnson makes, and this especially as evident, like, it's his first feature film, yeah. is that it... It's so earnest that it, like, a lot of, and we, we saw this with, like, The Last Jedi, obviously, and some of his work in between. He he makes things very confidently, so he invites criticism by not apologizing or making things ironic. Like, he just he just makes the film he wants to make and then, you know, fuck the consequences kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> did you get that vibe from this in the same way that kind of The Last Jedi has that, that tone? What I did get is that whenever this film try to do something that was kind of like cool or like really epic or like very like dramatic it never felt like it wasn't earned like it never felt like it was just trying to be dramatic just because that's what films do at this point in the story like there's no point where i was just like oh you haven't earned that moment like Mm -hmm. you haven't you know the the you know things like the soundtrack and the you know like the the quite crappy fight scenes and the like just things that happens it's you know it you'll never there's never a point where we're just like oh you can't just do that like when he when he pulls out when uh when tug pulls out his name's tug right mm-hmm. when tug pulls out the gun and shoots dode in the head that, that that's like a huge point of the film because you're just like oh people can actually die in this film right but they built up to that the whole yeah time. it's not just he's, he doesn't just like whip out a gun like it's the fucking like the room or something like the drug dealer in the room you're don't you're not like what the fuck you're like well, cause, oh because well, it escalates right you have the fist fights then the knife and then like it just it keeps going till it gets to guns yeah it doesn't start with guns well and it and even when it does get to guns there's it's in in hindsight this whole film like it feels like everything that happens is like just sort of a metaphor for just sort of the general kind of interactions that human beings have because this film like you can't avoid the fact that this film is like a noir detective story set in like high school Mm -hmm. and you know the the window dressing is is you know is basically just high school drama like you know the yeah the the vice principal is basically like the superintendent like you he talks about like calling the cops but you never actually see the police in the film but but the thing is he never says the the police are just a metaphor for being caught getting thrown like you know lose you know if you get caught by the cops you lose well he never even says like 
he never says like the cop like again there's like all these coded there's all this coded language in this film where like no one ever says like oh the cops but it's like someone's gonna need to take the fall for this and when they come asking questions yeah i'm gonna give you give you their name so i guess and the the big part of what i want to pick through with this is that coding and the way that the the tone and the dialogue and the way that this film is constructed in that style really affects sort of um it, it has a really big impact on how those themes are translated where it's like it is a film about high school but really the high school is just the setting um yeah in the same way where and we're, we're going to talk a lot about this same way where donnie darko is sort of this like kind of dark sort of character drama but it's set in high school so mm-hmm. they do things like they have parties and they go out and they they go to school at some and they in talk the film. at school and yeah they have classes but it, that's not that's not the it's it's not really the setting it's just like the window dressing as opposed to like um like spider-man homecoming mm-hmm. where this the the school element the fact that they are students is quite integral to the plot right one in a sense that it yeah it 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 directly influences how the plot unfolds. One of them's an internal genre, one of them's an external genre. Spider-Man Homecoming is a high school film. Yeah. This is a film set in a high school. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess before we kind of dig into that and then talk about Donnie Darko and really, like, get sink our teeth into this one, I just wanted to mention, like, two things um, that I thought were interesting. Obviously, a lot of this is practical. Like I was about saying, it was a very cheaply, cheaply oh, yeah. film. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, the majority of the film's special effects were obviously efficiently and cheaply produced using... Mostly practical and in-camera effects, and some of this is crazy. So, this is just a few examples that I grabbed off um, an article. Um, early in the film, uh, when I think it's Emily um, who walks in front of the camera out of a tunnel as a garbage bag floats downstream and then engulfs the camera, which then transitions to Joseph Gordon-Levitt back that, in his character's bedroom. Is that a reversal shot? To achieve this, the desired effect was filmed in reverse order. Yeah. The garbage bag began over the camera and was pulled away during filming as Emily walked backward into the tunnel. Yeah. This footage was then cut into a scene in which a garbage bag was simply pulled over Joseph Gordon-Levitt's head. Yeah. Like, that that kind of in-camera practical stuff is fucking nuts. Yeah, and even, like, some of the camera movement is so just, like... You can you can see the lack of, bu- lack of money in it. Like, in the... In the um in the the knife scene where he's being chased by the guy with the knife, like not only is like the audio just like dubbed over, mm-hmm. which actually almost makes the scene better, but like the, yeah, well the I think the fact that the audio is dubbed over with with his shoes hitting with the, the ground, shoes hitting the ground, it's the only you, you sound hear you the, hear. Yeah, and the the two different footsteps. God, that's a good fucking sequence. But also, like, the way the camera moves, it's it moves as if it's someone on a skateboard being pulled by someone who's just fucking hoofing it. And he's just, like, holding the camera as stable it's, as he possibly can. It's, it's a technique that, that Fincher uses as well. David Fincher's films do this a lot. Um, where the, it's like the, a handheld dolly, basically. It's a handheld dolly, yeah. and what they do is the camera mirrors the movement of the character. So what you feel like is in another film, right, where it's like a stationary cam and a right. character's moving in the shot, is you feel like detached from it whereas I, I think the use of that of that tracking of the actual movements of the character yeah. not literal movement like even like little things like the angle they're looking at it like it kind of puts you in the character's head yeah and it like demands your attention and that by the way like the that the way that scene ends where he sort of runs around the corner and he takes his shoes off and you're like what's he doing yeah and then, and then just, he slide, just like a power slide it's fucking genius oh, it's, and it's and like one thing what a weird way to resolve a chase scene though well and a, and a lot of the um 
a lot of like the action is either just like very sort of like latent punching or it's punching the camera or it's you know he hits the pole off screen you just hear this big dong and then it pans over and he's obviously just like quick just chuck the blood on me um and like when they're in the den and the den's being attacked by tug's goons they don't show the fight scene they just show the noise from underneath right. it because that's a lot cheaper than doing a doing fight a scene. Fight scene. Yeah. Which you, I, you don't have to choreography a fight. You just have to chore- sound design. You don't have to choreograph a fight. You just have to get a bunch of guys in the folly room to just fucking slam some pillows Which, together. The cool thing about that is what ends up happening is the film is the, the dramatic tension is ramped up because the yeah. you, you're not Which is kind of what like that's well, they, kind of, they managed to do a fight scene with one actor, the guy who comes through the door covered in blood. Yeah, d- how do you do, like? That's a fight scene with one actor. That shouldn't. That shouldn't. That shouldn't work, be possible. But a hundred percent works because it's yeah. set up so well. And that was for me. That was like one of those moments where it's just like you've earned this because you've set up yeah. this weird mum's basement to be this den, and you've mm. set up the fact that randomly there'll just be people standing outside just there. Which the first time you see, it, you're like, that's weird. But when it kind of Come, the when it- push comes to shove it's like you're like oh like this moment which they're not actually showing i can believe i think you're exactly right it's it's for that exact reason that they they spend enough time developing the world around the events that the 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 subtext you need to understand what's happened there is already it already exists in the world mm. um there's a scene very similar to that in 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 the in my second book um where a character like rocks up like like soaked in blood and like the implication is like they've killed a bunch of people to get there. And the only reason that that scene functions that we spent a long time on was establishing earlier in the story that that was something that could happen. Right. And I think this film does a good job of that in almost all regards where because you get the four key things you need, which is like the pin, Frisco, um, the brick, and there's another word that is like the four words that Emily says that he doesn't recognize. That becomes this, the kind of central thrust of the story. Yeah. Um, so by the time you get to that endpoint, you already are like, okay, well, this makes sense. Wasn't Tug one of the words? Tug was the other one. Because he's just yeah. like, it's like a drink. Right. It's like a drink. Vodka so, and milk. exactly right. So it's like, they're very simple, plain words. And then when you put them in the context of the narrative, you're like, okay, all of this does feel earned. Yeah. Because um, it develops that mystery and it deepens it. Before we get into like the real meat of this, um, <laughs> what did you think of Laura's place in this story? So my kind of reading on it was that for the largest part of the narrative, it does genuinely feel like she is interested in Brendan. Um, even though, you know, as the ending kind of comes about, you kind of learn the twist in her character. I don't necessarily stop believing that she was sort of, that she sort of genuinely is, is interested in him. For me, her role in the story really helped solidify this sort of genre of like the noir. She's the femme fatale. yeah, Yeah. So she, she fits that femme fatale character strongly, but she helps drive. So really the only characters so they they talk about like oh what's what's your play what's your game like what are you what's what's your plan because that's like a big part of noir stories is like everyone's got they've got an angle everyone's got an angle everyone's got a thing they're trying to achieve and Mm -hmm. everyone plays at it differently and to for a film that like explicitly mentions things like what's your play what's your game what's your angle it could have easily fallen flat if there was no real evidence of anyone doing anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I but think everyone has an angle. Everyone does have an angle, but I think it's characters like Laura and Kara to a lesser degree because she doesn't really have much of an active role. She's more, she's of, more a... of just like a. She's there. She's like a data source. Yeah, she's yeah. like sort of like that Oracle kind of character. 
But she's cool because she kind of she still has some. Background. She's interesting. Yeah, she's yeah. an interesting character, and also tells you a lot about Brendan the way they interact. Yeah, because she's still trying to kind of lure him back. Yeah, but I know. think with with Laura, she's the because she is the fo- she you know she's the femme fatale. She's the foil to your main mm-hmm. lead. The way that she interacts with all the other characters lends a lot of sort of authenticity to everyone's to everyone being sort of like a motivated character in this world because you don't see a lot of sort of in-depth you see a bit with tug where he lies to our our lead character about knowing who emily is yep um Mm -hmm. that's probably like the most you see from him in terms of him playing a game you don't see a lot from the pin just because he's a you know, he, it's it's obvious what his game is. He's just he's, he's a, a drug dealer. He's a drug dealer, and yeah, it makes his motivations pretty crazy. So I think having that trio of because Tug is Tug and Laura are quite close because mm-hmm. they're in a lot of scenes together. So having that trio of Tug, what's the main character's name? I'm really Brendan. Yeah, Brendan. Tug, Brendan, and Laura. That sort of trio of which really helps create like a noir story and mm-hmm. make it solid because you always, you think it's Tug. You're just like it's got to be. Wait, Tug. do you mean he's... Dode? No, I mean Tug. Okay, sorry. Do- Dode's the- Sorry, I was thinking of Emily when you said Laura. Keep going. Sorry, yeah, you've. Well, well, Emily's the victim. Dode yeah, is like I'm the a- of. He Dode's like the. It's definitely him, but it's not him. A- Tug is like the violent yeah, yeah, possibility, yeah, yeah. I'm and gonna- Laura's the femme fatale. Gonna cut that out of the end. <laughs> so you've got that trio set up, mm-hmm. and it, yeah, like that trio is like so important because it it drives the yeah it drives like the authenticity. Man. It make it makes the world feel yep. feel important, which. Well, th- Which sets up the whole idea where it's just like, this is, they're, they're just kids in high school, but they've got this web of, you Cause, know. Because, you know, and I guess the truth is when you're in high school, that's. Once again, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's literally fe- one that's, of my notes. Like when you're, that's like, what it feels for, like for me, like why I feel like the gun is such an interesting uh, inclusion because there isn't a lot of consequence for him literally shooting someone in the head. For me, it's like things like that, you know, him shooting someone in the head isn't. He didn't actually, you know, that's like a metaphor for like deleting someone on Facebook. You know, it's like it's the it's pulling the trigger. It's the final, you know, it's the final act of Mm -hmm. like violence in a inherently nonviolent environment, which is high school, because, you know, you're just a bunch of kids. Yeah. So Australian high schools. We should clarify because no one shoots. We won't. We won't won't get into that. But just like for context, like we're talking about like places where like guns aren't readily available. (laughs) Like, well, I, I think it's important. That out <laughs> well, I just think that's like an important caveat. Like, we're talking about like a typical high school environment. Like, we're not ha- like there, I guess there's a, that, there's a school that, shooting once a week in America. So I just think tr- that, like that the- actually could lead to why to this perspective we had because when someone you know when when we watch a high schooler pull out a gun and shoot someone, it's like, it's like that's shocking. not a thing that happens. Whereas I imagine in places where you know you could go to your dad's drawer and take out his gun and stick it in your pocket Mm -hmm. like in a in an environment where that is possible here it really isn't and that might be more it It may may, it may shift the the balance of like metaphor versus kind of just metaphor versus aesthetic yes as opposed to like the the noir stuff being a metaphor for then it's the environment it's more just like oh this this high school is just a bit wild that's really interesting this might be a good point to transition to talk about donnie darko because that is fucking fascinating (laughs) um i'd not that didn't even occur to me that's that's, because guns every culture treats guns differently like it's right it's just the nature of you know america guns are a they're a metaphor for freedom right now in japan Guns don't really have a lot of precedence. It's mainly you have the sword because of a lot of sort of, right. you know, ancient stuff. In New know. Zealand, they're a myth. 
Um, <laughs> and and here there's sort of there's something that that, hap- that that exists in other places. Here it's like it's a sign of like the like it's if anything it's a sign of just like being a rural person. You know, having to kill Vern right like Wolf things. Creek or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Totally. Obviously, Brick came out a few years after Donnie Darko. I think it was like six or seven years, but was written around the same time, which is interesting right. because now that we learned from Google before that uh, the 10 Things I Hate About You came out about the same time as Donnie Darko. Right. So I'm pretty sure what happened is Ryan Johnson, he wrote the script in 97. <laughs> 10 Things came out in 98. I reckon he went, that's my that's guy. That's the kid. Long hair, five years on, he'll be great. He'll be great. Right. I reckon that's, I would honestly put money on that happening. That's we'll an interesting We'll ring up Ryan Johnson. Uh, for the we'll record, that is speculation. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, so Donnie Darko is a story about determinism, fate, and it's like a non uh, autelic world where like basically, you know, the fantasy world is wholly encompassing. It seeks to be allegorical in some ways. Um, Donnie's time travel does not represent any direct parallel. But, like, even though, you know, Frank is clearly an interpretation of Brihild, a Germanic hero, where she comes to represent the inevitability of death, where she murders Siegfried due to the events he put into motion himself. Yeah, no big deal. Like, Frank is both a reinterpretation of Brunhild's myth and a manifestation of the anxiety about, like, the Cold War and returning to war in, like, the 80s. Like, we talked about that in our reading of it, but I, I think that film is so baked in with these. And, obviously, if you... We're talking about the 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 theatrical release that film was so baked in with um allegory and metaphor and stuff that it like all almost it becomes not any of those things because if you try and read too far into it it just becomes itself like it's sort of it's like a self-fulfilling um manifesto where like it's so allegorical and so metaphorical that because you can't derive any meaning then you discard the metaphor and allegory and it just becomes about time travel and high school oh yeah well that's what the the directors the there's like the second cut which includes yeah which includes all of that stuff well the director's cut explains it all yeah which which drives it completely away from the allegorical perspective which but then the vagueness of it the 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 kind of vagueness of and in our episode we discuss and um to quote to quote past me i talked about (laughs) quote um, myself to quote myself i I was (laughs) talking about how you know um as a teen when you watch that film if you're at a specific age it's just complex enough that there's enough, there's some stuff to unpack, but it's just simple enough that it's quite easy. So you feel quite philosophically accomplished when you work out what that film's about. Right. Even though as an adult, you look back at it and you say, oh no, it's just, it's a comment on what it's like to grow up because those events that happen and how paranormal and how like complex it all seems, that's what it's like to be a fucking teenager, be, be in high school, right? <laughs> right. Is you're like trying to scribe these, these fucking predestined um, meanings onto everything because everything feels like the end of the world. Yeah. And in Donnie Darko, it literally is the end of the world. And that was kind of what we talked about with Edge of 17 and like to an extent, um, eighth grade as well. Whereas I think Brick as a structure is much more of a straightforward thriller. What you said at the start is curious to me that, that when you watch it, you're like, I know how thrillers are. So I can kind of watch this and yeah. kind of, I get what's, I get who these players are. Yeah. Donnie Darko isn't like that. You can't look at a character and be like, oh, the archetype means there'll be this. Yeah, and Donnie Darko even sort of kind of pioneered some of the archetypes. So, Or at least was during the pioneering age of some of those archetypes. Mm-hmm. So his... Uh, shit, I may be mixing films, but Donnie Darko's like love interest, the... Yeah, his yeah. girlfriend, yeah. yeah she's like, a central character yeah, like that she, makes him she's, kill himself. But yeah, and, but she's also that sort of... <sighs> That like you know like not like the other girls. She's esoteric and nerdy. She's like but she's still hot. Pre pre manic pixie dream girl. Yes. 
It's like the original Manic Pixie By Dream the way, Girl I'm before still, they were Manic and Pixie. I'm I'm glad that that's a term that you're now familiar with because it's going to yeah, keep coming up. It's really. I'm like, glad that I ruined, ruined. I ruined, you've ruined a lot of things. For no, me. but you're right. She was she was like the pre. She was the before before Zoe Deschanel was in films. Yeah, that was the person who was that. Which which came from. I feel like a lot of that came from the Breakfast Club. And I feel like a lot of this Breakfast film Club also came from the Breakfast Club. What's the film um, that everyone talks about? Whether he he gets the the girl erased from his brain, but he's still in love with her. Pat, Sun- Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I've never seen that. Um, it's basically like that was when the trope was pioneered, and okay. a little sense she has blue hair, um, and she's very aloof and shit. Sure, uh, but like I know what you mean. Like that, it's kind of that pre that pre version of that where she's like aloof and nerdy, but she's still pretty hot. Um, and there's something about the aloofness that and there's there's her... that bit of just like general headstrongness as well. General headstrongness and the fact that the main characters of those stories are sort of the scruffy, um, smarter than everyone kind of uh, the the Donnie Darkos or the the Brandon in this story, yeah, like or, the, or, or Joseph Wooden Levitt's character, uh, yeah, Tom in Five Hundred Days of Summer, yeah. There is something about these kind of because because when you're in when okay when you're a young dude and you don't quite understand as the a, world, as an ex young dude yourself. I was a fucking terrible. You person are the when I was youngest younger. of dudes. Like, uh, you are the youngest, dudiest got, young dude of I've all I've got time. a video coming out about it, but like, <laughs> I was, I was the fucking worst person because I, I was, was like, I was like a step behind, like, but like in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, th- I feel like we've gone over this in we've some, gone over in in a lot something, of, <laughs> lot of capacity. But no, you're right. Like, th- there was definitely a period in time where, like, I, I was behaving like these characters. But w- what this film does, which is interesting, is it goes, okay, well. Depending on how you read it, it can sometimes validate some of that stuff if you are that age. Because that was what I found, right? So when I was that age, yeah. uh, Five Minutes of Summer came out in uh, 2009. Yeah. Uh, that was grade nine for me. And what I found was that I, f- at the time, I was like, okay, well, I'm very similar to Tom Hansen. And for me, I was like, okay, cool. Well, that means, you know, I misread the film. And that's what's interesting to me about you mentioning The Breakfast Club is I think a big part... Five Minutes of Summer opens with the narrator saying... Um, that Tom had these expectations about love and romance because he misread The Breakfast Club. Yeah. So no, exactly. Yeah. Th- and I, th- I think this film is like Ryan Johnson being like, "Fuck you, I can do it better." Yeah. Watch and learn. Look at look at how much when you watch this as an adult, you're like, "Dude, Brendan, as much as he's very clever and quippy and like cool and like you know, the differences between him and Donnie Darko are so fascinating to me." Where Brendan is rewarded for his kind of quippiness and coolness, and Donnie Darko has an ongoing medical condition and has to kill himself <laughs> for it. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's some there's something interesting going on there. Well, I think part of that comes back, part of that comes down to the fact that it is, it is this sort of closed story. You know, you come into it with him seeing the body, and the film ends with him solving the case. It's almost like a like an like a Sherlock Holmes novel. Well, it's a it's a murder mystery. Yeah. Well, you've got this main character who he doesn't. I I think the 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 minor slip if i would like say there is a minor slip is in terms of like setting up this mm-hmm. this genre is the the personal stakes that brendan has in the case i think if it was you know this sort of like sort of monster of the week kind of sherlock he comes in with you know he there's this girl who's dead and it just he sort of just figures out the case and then like life goes on kind of situation i think that would make the film a lot less sort of I don't know, predatory in the vein where he's rewarded for his actions. That that's a different. That's actually a different genre of mystery. So what you're describing. That's like a m- so like a uh, yes. fucking what's her name the mid some <laughs> midnight summer 
you know what I mean. The fuck like is the BBC you? like murder, murder um, shows. Yeah. So what 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 you're describing that this film is a thriller, which right. is where the stakes go from. You find a dead body, and the, and it goes from um you a, a relative safety and moral security to um interpersonal involvement, where the the main character is suddenly personally involved in the stakes right. and their morality and their life are both put on the line to solve the case. Um, what you're describing is more like a Sherlock Holmes story, um, which is like a straightforward detective narrative. Right. Um, so, like, like, like a different subgenre of the So, scene. So, is that, that crossover between thriller and thriller's detective like a, thriller's a subgenre is where, of the detective story. Is where noir sits. Noir, the At re- least noir yeah. is an aesthetic. So, noir is, an a, noir, noir is an aesthetic of the thriller genre. Right. So, typically, if you watch Heat, so Heat's like the classic noir yeah. film. Heat is a story where, like... The stakes get progressively more complicated and personal for the protagonist, and it come. You know, the ultimate question at the end is, will they survive? Uh, oh, sorry. Well, ultimately, a thriller asks, will you survive at the cost of damnation? So right. the question that always comes at the end of a thriller is, will you protect your own life or do an action that will save you but damn your soul? And that's kind of the core of like the thriller genre, I suppose, is like as far as a like a theoretical perspective um, yeah. from Sean Coyne. Uh, Steve Pressfield is a big advocate of that. Um, whether or not you agree with that depends on the story and the reading that you you take from it. But generally speaking, the difference there is that a detective story is a question at the end of it that the best bad choice or the best um, or the best bad choice or this is the the other version of that where it's the good thing or it's like two com- like competing equal options. You have to actually decide. Um, the version of that for a detective story is: What are you willing to do to solve the case? So, right. are you willing to break your morals to find the answer? So, in like a Sherlock Holmes story, um, he has to like be underhanded, or he has to kind of like lie to someone, or like cheat someone, or yeah. or do a thing that is morally reprehensible but that isn't life endangering. Um, and that's kind of the, the delineation between the two. So, for me, I, th- I think this film, and especially Donnie Darko as well, they're both thrillers in that regard. Um, but I mean, even like, even like from a stylistic perspective, which you were touching on with the noir thing, um, in Donnie Darko, everyone speaks like they have a fucking degree in philosophy, <laughs> whereas in Brick, everyone talks like it's the 1950s and they're in a detective story. Yeah. Did that? Because I didn't tell you about that going into it. Was that something that 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 changed the way that you read the story? Uh, yeah, I think especially the interaction between um, Brendan and the vice principal, like that, for it's me, such a like cop. Yeah, like for me, that, dragged yeah, in the, no, that was know. literally for me. That was like the turning point. I was just like, oh, I see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like before then, I was just like, oh, this kid has like a friend who's just like got, who sort of axes. Well, for one, he axes the the filler of plot holes, which mm-hmm. is very convenient and makes this film just kind of easier to watch. Yeah, I um, mean that that's what those characters do. In yeah, the, that's like the informant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I was just like, oh, he's just got this friend. And they just kind of talk to each other because they're in this like, f- for me at first, I was just like, oh, they're just like in this fantasy world where like they think they're detectives. But when, yeah, when you sort of interacted, when he started interacting with other characters, it, you know, like, um, like, Kara, Kara, I keep thinking Kara, like Kara. And, you know, when he goes to the Halloween party and it's basically just like a, like a jazz club so weird but it but it's like a halloween party and there's like a jock there it's like a house just, party yeah it's like it's a weird. house party jazz club i at that point i was just like oh i see i see what they're doing i and, ha- yeah yeah and then when he when he talks to the vice principal i was just like yeah no i i get what they're i get what they're doing here. i had the i had the realization when they're in the parking lot um and he's like he's like leaning on laura's car and the jock is like giving his like speech about football or whatever yeah. he's like what are you doing here and i was like oh that's like the, the like the detective turning up at like 
the nightclub where the bad guys are. Well, that literally yeah. happens at the house party as well. It's the same guy it's with the same, same yeah. line. He's like, like, what are you doing here? Yeah. He's like, I'm leaving. Which I like. I don't know. There's something about that which... <sighs> you know, like, swap that out for a bar. Yeah, well, again... And it's, and it's the same thing. The, the high school is used both as a setting and as a device for you as the reader to understand what this is about. Yeah. And that's a... Compl- like, I don't know, from a... The, so, the, the way the story goes is that Johnson wrote the script in 97... And he finally got to make it in 2003, 2004. And it's his first kind of feature-length script. And the way the story goes, and whether or not it's true, it's no one really knows. Yeah. The way this story is told by some people is that when he got the ability to make this, there was no money. No one wanted him to make it. <laughs> yeah. But he showed it to the actors and they went, "Yeah, that's going to be great. Yeah. And he went, okay, great. And that was all the motivation he needed. And I think, you know, in, in, in context with... Something like Donnie Darko, where it became a cult hit all those years later. Brick is not that. Brick no, is this Brick. gem no one has ever heard of, right? And Brick is this thing well, that... It was a bloody difficult... It was hard to even get a hold to, of it. It's hard, yeah. to, like, it's hard to watch, watch. it. Yeah. yeah, whereas I think Donnie Darko, like, anyone can watch it. It's on it. Netflix. It's on Netflix. Yeah. But even just accessing this in Australia was hard work. Yes. Um, I now, I, I now own it. it on iTunes and something else. Like, because yeah, I was like, dumb. I want to pay the money. Yeah. But it's hard to get, and... And, you know, it's because it was an indie film that we found its following in, in, in a small film festival. Um, and it, it's one of those things that can only happen when there are people willing to invest in, like, independent cinema. And we're getting away from that more and more with, you know, and Ryan Johnson worked on a fucking Star Wars film. Yeah. Well, even, like, you know, things like the soundtrack. It's, you know, I was waiting for the soundtrack to... to as weird as it is, I was waiting for the soundtrack soundtrack to stop doing what it was doing. Never stops, though. and it never it just keeps going. And I was, and by the end of it, you know, you would have these um these like light motifs, and you would sort of, you know, especially at the very end when he's on the field and characters like rock up and it starts playing their light motifs. You're like, you you're just so engrossed. I literally like turned to Laura and I was like, Laura, my girlfriend, not Laura, the character in the film. Um, Good delineation. I turned to Laura and I was like, I was like. That's the music. That's like that's Laura's the character. It's music. cool, right? Yeah, I was like, that's sick. Like, uh, only at the end did I realize it. But I feel like if I watched this film again, it would just because the first yeah. few times I was just like, oh, the soundtrack's really happening and hip hopping and hipping and you know, it's yeah. it's it's cool, subtle things where you know that kind of soundtrack you wouldn't really you know like not even Donnie Darko gets gets away with that kind of thing. The, it has the, the mo- it yeah. just has a soundtrack the closest treatment of that is maybe like some of the russo brothers work in, in uh winter soldier or like lord of the rings you know the, it, it's it's a and you know sure you know star wars does like you know race theme or whatever but it's not it's not it's, the same it's not the same because the things like things like wraith Ray's theme they will they'll be really clever with it they'll be really tricky where it'll be like oh we hid but we hid not, vader's theme and Ray's theme but it's, not, it's a no, metaphor but it's you're not, like you're like, yeah, that's cool, but like, it doesn't go anywhere. Whereas this is just like, this character gets this music, or like, when this is going on, we're gonna play the thing with the oboe, and you're like, I oh, fuck the the bit with the oboe gets me going, man. It's good. Well, I I think that's the thing, right? Is it's 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 not. And Ryan Johnson is this. He's not pretentious, and that's such a difficult. <laughs> Despite what this film is like, well, it's well, it's a difficult <laughs> difficult thing to get your head around. So, so I think if you're gonna if if you were gonna say, oh, well, what's a pretentious version of this film look like? It's the same thing, but with like a sarcastic kind of um, tongue in cheek kind of tone, where it's like that for me, where it's like, oh, look, I'm too clever for you, so I'm gonna dumb it down and, and give like, you some jokes. And he's like, he like destroys the jock and then like walks away without a sketch. Right. Whereas this is the opposite. Anything. Yeah. He just gets beaten up a lot. Yeah. And I was trying to think of a way to like wrap up 
this discussion in a way that was meaningful. But to be honest, I just... For independent cinema like this and like 500 Days and like a lot of the stuff that we talk about when we discuss like what we like the most, it's not that it is indie. It's just it's a coincidence that happens to me. I think things that work really well work well because they know what they're trying to do and they execute on that without forgiveness right to better you know for better or for worse star wars prequels for worse um brick probably for better donnie darko probably for better right um with the editor's help obviously um and and i don't know there's there's something to me that's enchanting about the fact that this is the first film of ryan johnson the dude who made uh the last jedi um and that there's something cyclical in nature in his work um and i would love to kind of see him return to this sort of thing um his handling of Star Wars was interesting. He told a good story. It wasn't a great film, but I'm interested to see kind of what he ends up doing next. I think this is a dude with a lot of potential to, if the right environment is around him and he has a story to tell, he'll tell it well. Right. And I think that he, he you know, I would love to see him do something else like this with the money he has now. Could you imagine this? But like if it had a budget, it'd be like David Fincher, you know? Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like the the lack of money almost gives this film a bit of character. Well, then maybe he he does it and it's indie. You know, we've, yeah. we've seen. You know, a few I, I, do I'm that. I'm worried about like the the Prometheus effect. You know, when when yeah. uh Ripley Ridley Scott, yeah. Ridley Scott Ripley when Ridley Scott <laughs> Ripley Scott the bleh, when Ridley Scott got money mm-hmm. and made and well about the same amount of money, but when just the technology caught up, the film yeah. suffered. But I don't, I don't think that's going to happen because I think Ryan Johnson always will have something to say for better or for worse. Yeah. And when we talk about films... He's that... also not making like sci-fi blockbusters. So right. it doesn't... There's not that expectation of if you have money, you, you spend it all on CG. You he's, know. he's wielding, you know... Even when he was given Star Wars, he, he spent a lot of, practice, a lot of it so just doing... Work. Yeah, doing practical and doing just character development. And like I think didn't... all of that comes from this film. I, yeah. think, I think if you want to talk about like what what is the the manifesto of like a director or a storyteller, this is where you turn to for him. It's stylistic, it's bold, it's brave, and it invites being criticized for those reasons. It doesn't escape that curve by being clever or self-aware. It just is itself. And it's fucking hard to do. Like, it's hard to do. Like, people hate my book. Like, I get... <laughs> some people don't like my book. I hate your book, David. It sucks. Yeah, but it's like... Because it is just honest, and sometimes that's hard to do, and you have to put yourself on the line and accept that criticism as part of making something that you care about. And I think if there's any lesson we've learned from like doing this for like four and a half years, it's that the things we like the most tend to be stuff that someone really fucking backed. Like they put their heart into it, and they were like, "This is something I genuinely believe in, for better or for worse." So I think not that there's a lesson from every episode of this, but like I don't know, there's something there about there's a continuity of. If you give a shit about it and you make something that you give a shit about, don't be afraid to give a shit in the thing. Don't be afraid to actually commit to that. And don't feel like you have to be a cool, edgy, like, fourth wall, like, reinterpretive postmodern. Like, you know, I'm I'm safe from criticism because you just don't get it. Like, I think make stuff that you care about and make it with people you care about. And maybe that, maybe that's what it's all about. Maybe it is, David. Do you have any recommendations? (laughs) Duh. I don't know if I did this last week, but I've just been playing Dragon's Dogma. We didn't do recommendations last week. Oh, because I was so tired. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah. All right, cool. I got a double one then. Um, been listening to the new King Giz. You uh, need to say the whole name for new listeners. Uh, uh, King Giz. Wait, what's their actual King name? King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Yeah, that's their full name. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're an Australian <laughs> band. They're a band. They make music. 
Um, I don't know how you can recommend them if you like noises in your ears. That's do you like s- sounds? Yeah, you like. Uh, yeah, they're good. Um, they got a new album, which mm. is quite environmentalist. So if you like environmental music, you'll probably like. If you like like weird southern. This isn't what they're all about, but if you if you like weird southern environmental music, you'll like this album. Sort of bluegrass. Um, yeah. yeah, if you like just if you like microtonal stuff, you probably already know about them. Yeah. Um, if you like just weird fucking tunes, they have an album which just loops forever, and it's really fucking good. What's well, um, has one of those too? Yeah, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Mm. Um, they're just also it's a funny name. It's great to say. Uh, so I've been listening to them. I've also been playing Dragon Dogma, Dragon's Dogma. Dark Arisen on the Switch because it came out on the Switch and I've already finished the game and I plan on playing it again and um, it's a really great game you should be playing it fucking phenomenal it's it's so I've done like, I've done like 10 hours on the so Switch so underrated like I just I don't understand why like it's it's we, we might do an episode classic. on it well I feel like we are going to be doing an episode this what, month but yeah. I play like 10 hours and I'm like oh this game is fucking still brilliant it's it's so good and I playing it the second time because I played it through on PC when it came out on PC um, wait we I, made a video about that didn't we, we? the we unpolished gem video yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I'll link it in the description I don't know if we've done an episode on it we, no, we, we did a potato clinic we did right? a potato clinic yeah. um, no, no it was an antagonist video that's right yeah because it was yours yeah 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 I yeah. was just in it yeah um yeah, no, it's a fucking, it's such a good game. Well, we're doing an episode on it this month, okay. probably. Well, you, you you get two, so you can. T- that's t- one of things. them. So keep. There we go. That. That, it, that's one. It might be next week. I haven't scheduled this month. Nah, I got to play more of it. You got to give me some time to play some more. Yeah. I uh, I don't really have any like recommendations of what I've meteorically That's good because I went on for a while. Yeah, the only thing that I can recommend is we're playing uh, Sekiro the whole way through. Shadows Die <laughs> Twice on the Coffee House Christ. channel. That's it. Like that's all. For for running tally, we're up to like a hundred and something deaths, hundred and twenty. We're pushing lot. it. We hit a hundred recently. Yeah, that's only like thirty Whee! episodes. So. Yeah, so um, that's that's that. three deaths per episode on average. Come, come some of them, it's way higher. Some of them, it's about twelve. Some of them, it's like one or two. So uh, yeah, it evens uh, out. I mean, otherwise, where can people find us? I was about to say Outlet or Citrus, but no, uh, Facebook <laughs> at DCM Workshop. That was my fault because that's how I ended. You know what? Keep going. YouTube is it? YouTube.com slash GCMOS. Yeah, because I say what otherwise do you normally if you want to follow us individually is what trips you. Right. I normally say where can people find us. Yeah, that's, that's that my, is what you normally that's say. That is what you said though. Yeah, I know. My brain just It just you had a moment, yeah. Okay. Uh Twitter. Uh, at DCM underscore works. Patreon. Patreon.com slash DCM works. If you want to suggest a topic like Cameron did, that's the best place to do it. We'll probably do it. We'll probably do it. Cause, this is evidence of that. Well, because you guys... I, it was one a good of, film. One of the things I've found is that our Patreons have really good taste. Um, <laughs> so if you, wanna get, if you want to get... If you really good taste... Says nothing about become us. A, become a patron. If you have good three, taste... Three dollars a month. Up to you. Says nothing about us. Gives you a bunch, just, of, bunch of bonuses. They just keep recommending... 80 plus episodes of side content? I don't think you should try 60? this selling bit. 70? It's fine. Um, there's Around a- sixty, you can buy his book if you you get it like a discount code or something. Um, yeah, keep going. Something, something. We see it more as a subscription rather than a donation. Yeah, it's okay. It's more like a subscription. So you know, you pay three bucks a month and you get access to additional content. It's not like you're yeah, donating okay. to us. Yeah, whatever. Um, you also get access to our post show for this. Oh program, yeah, post show. Um, where we kind of that's where we respond to comments. Also, that's also what you get. We respond to comments and like you know, um, also talk about additional information. You know, it tends to be like twenty to twenty five minutes. Um, it's. We're also putting that as an audio only for the RSS feed, so that's kind of a new thing we're doing. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, if you want to follow us individually, I'm at DCM. I hate pie. I'm at Literal Citrus. We'll see you guys next week. If you're watching live, we'll see you in five minutes. Ooh.